First Peter chapter number three, by God's grace, over the next few weeks, I'll be preaching specifically, I made mention of this a few weeks ago, but I'll be preaching specifically on the family um, over the next few weeks, praying God will help us in this matter, uh, specifically on this uh, for a few Sundays. We're going to start here in First Peter 3, and uh, if you found it and you're able to, let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter number 3, I wanted to start back here in verse number 6 where Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord and that's what I was going to preach on for the entire, I'm not, but I, that's not what I'm preaching on, the Lord wouldn't let me go there. But uh, verse number 7, we'll start there in verse number 7, read down through verse number 12. The Bible says, likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life... And see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil, and do good, let him seek peace, and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. In this husband and wife context of the home, I was looking at verse number 7, down towards the end of the verse, where it says, as being heirs together of the grace of life. And boy, that phrase has just been upon my heart, the grace of life, dealing with the home. And uh, I want to share a few thoughts out of this passage of Scripture mainly. I'll reference a few others on the subject matter on home doesn't have to be miserable. Home doesn't have to be miserable. And there are some that are saying, you're wrong. (laughs) It's just a rite of passage. No, it isn't a rite of passage. Home doesn't have to be miserable. And uh, we're going to look in the Scriptures here, and I pray it will help us. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, Lord, being able to convict and to be able to draw souls to you, thank you so much for Brother Andy um, getting salvation settled yesterday. And uh, Lord, we're so thankful for that. Lord, if there's one here this morning that they would not be able to stand and be able to say 100% that they know that they're saved and on their way to heaven for all of eternity, Lord, I pray that you'd convict them and draw them to you this morning. Lord, what a day it would be for them to be able to trust Christ for eternal salvation. Lord, as we look into this matter of the home, Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning. It's, it can be applied to each and every individual here, whether someone's married or not married anymore or looking to get married, or just some principles that we can apply to our hearts and lives to have that home that would be honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your will and way now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I know you've seen and heard the phrase that's been said that 
home is where your heart is. And it doesn't matter how far away from it you are, that you can always come home. And I'm thankful for that. We have great examples of that throughout the scripture. I want to say when I reference a home, I'm not talking about your house that you sleep and you eat in on a daily basis. I'm talking about that home which is made up of more than just four walls, those relationships that are inside there. But yet as we think about this subject matter, I will go on record to say that I believe that there is an outright attack on the home today. I believe that everything across our nation is designed to break down the home, to tear apart the home. Whether it be tearing apart the husband and wife or tearing apart the children from the parents, um, we see this. I was thinking several years ago that as I drove by and I saw some houses that people lived in and knew that they were mortgaged up to their eyeballs in them. And I said, homes like that, and this was 15 years ago, I said at that point, I said what they were selling and and buying them for was 250 to 300,000, and now that's just an average home, it seems like, but it wasn't the average home back then. And I started doing some research and started doing some calculating and seeing what the monthly cost would be on something like that and started figuring out the mortgage and the insurance and the taxes on something like that. Of course, those figures had to change whether I was down in Tennessee or up here in the great state of New Hampshire and their property tax. But I had to start calculating these things and I realized this. I said, you understand, I said, they're they're minimum $1,500 to $1,800, sometimes higher I said, just on their house. And then I noticed on that, I said, you've got two cars that are in the driveway that they're either leasing or they financed. And I said, they're not a Ford Escort. That's how long ago this was, a Ford Escort. And I said, they're not a Ford Escort. I said, but they're a big SUV or or something. And I said, they got four and $500 a month car payments on both of these things. I said, they're $2,500 to $3,000 before they even start buying groceries for the week. And I thought, how in the world do families do that today? And then I started realizing that you have, and this if that's what God has for you, you have the, the husband going one direction for work, you have the wife going the other direction for work, you have the kids going off and doing their things, and then they're with a babysitter. And I said the, the parents will get home about 7 or 8 o'clock at night and maybe spend about an hour or two with the kids, get up at 5 in the morning, take them back to daycare, send them off to school, whatever it may be. And I said very rarely do we get to the point that that home is together. And I'm I'm burdened for that. You say, well, we're in a Baptist church this morning, and so we have a Christian home. Can I just preface all of this by saying, just because you're a Christian doesn't automatically mean you have a Christian home. Because it's the environment that is there and the priorities that are there, and we'll take a, a look at a few things here in the scriptures as we're looking at this. 
but I'm burdened for our homes even inside of our church today, burdened for our marriages inside of our church, burdened for those that that would be married at some point to be able to get these foundational truths and applied to their hearts and lives before they enter into some things. And as we look down through here, I want to share a few things because unfortunately in a lot of cases, people are more satisfied being out in the world and at their job and away from home. And then when they walk back into their home, it's just a miserable spirit inside that house and inside that home. And somehow we think that that's just to be expected. Well, the the mom has had the kids all day or the dad has had the kids all day and the mom's coming back from work and everybody's tired and the kids want to go a hundred different directions. And after all, we're just not a functioning home if we're not arguing and fighting with each other. It doesn't have to be normal for doors to be slamming around a house. It doesn't have to be normal. It doesn't have to be miserable for a family to be able to come together and sit down and be able to have a meal. I would ask the question, when's the last time you say, well, my family's just down to me and my spouse right now. When's the last time you sat down at the table and had a meal together? And I say at the table and not the television stand where you're sitting there on the couch eating it because you can't miss the television program. I'm saying shutting everything off and get, listen, home doesn't have to be miserable. It ought not to be that we can't wait for us to be able to leave the home or we can't wait to be able to kick our kids out of the home because they just make it miserable around there. It ought not to be. Now, that's what we raise our kids for. Listen, we raised our kids to get to the point. At some point, they need to get out of the nest and they need to be able to fly on their own. But can I say this? I wasn't counting the days down of saying, I can't wait till they leave. You know why? Because I prayed that our home, the entire time that we're there, whether it's me, my wife, and our two kids, or if it's just my wife and I, that when we walk inside, everything else is shut off and closed out, and that's a haven. And it's a joy to be able to be home. Listen, husbands, there's something wrong if you don't want to go home. Wives, there's something wrong if you don't want to go home. Husbands, if your wife doesn't want to come home to you, there's something wrong. And home does not need to be miserable. It's not a badge of honor to be able to say how many fights we had with our spouse or with our kids or with our parents throughout this past week. Home is not miserable. And I want to share a few things as we look at this. And this is in the direct context of a husband-wife relationship. It starts right off in chapter 3 and verse number 1 and starts dealing with the wives down through here. And then it says, likewise, ye husbands, in verse number 7. And I want to take some principles out of verse number 7 to be able to help us, not just in the husband-wife relationship, but in the home 
relationships. And I believe next week, if, if uh, God continues things in order, I believe I'm going to specifically deal with the husband-wife relationship, the parents and children relationship, and children relationship to their parents, and uh, be able to deal with the relationship aspect. But if we look at some characteristics and principles this morning on home not being miserable, I see first of all, in verse number seven, that we learn how to be together. Learn how to be together. You say, what do you mean? Look what the Bible says here in verse number seven. He addresses the husbands. Likewise, ye husbands, look at this, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, how many would love today after you've been married for several years, you would love for everything you know today about marriage to have been written down and put in a book that we could have had before we got married to be able to look at some things and to be able to learn some things and be able to apply some things. May I say this? It seems like no matter how well you know each other, my wife and I, before we got married, we dated for seven years. She was my high school sweetheart. I was 14. She was 13 when we first met each other. But you know something? After being together for seven years, I mean, we'd been around in church together. We'd spent days, to, I mean, just over and over, everything centered around church and family and relationships. It's amazing you wake up that first morning and realize you just about married a stranger. And realize all the things that you do not know about each other. But listen, the Bible's telling us here, dwell with them according to knowledge. There's some things that have to be learned in order to be able to live together in unity inside this home. Uh, it's been said, and, and sadly so today, that if in the average family relationship, that if you were to look at each other and say, there's no touching your phone, tablet, device, or television for 30 minutes, you have to sit down and carry on a conversation, that there's a lot of people in relationships that wouldn't even know how to carry on a conversation and be able to communicate with each other. Because we're not going to talk in abbreviations. Well, how was your day today? To TBH. Um, to be honest, that's what that means, okay? And so we wouldn't be talking in abbreviation, but actually sitting down and having a face-to-face -face conversation. What is amazing is learning to dwell together, learning to live together. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just took time right here and you told us the strangest thing you had to learn about your spouse after you got married to be able to deal with things? No, we're not going to do that, okay? Don't worry about that. Some of your minds are already going, and some of the things you had to learn to be able to dwell together. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 133, he says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You know, home doesn't have to be miserable, but it might actually take some effort to be able to learn one another. So here's one thing, and I did not run these notes by my wife before I get up to preach, okay? And so y'all pray for me this afternoon. But uh, one of the things I had to learn, and, and she'll agree to this and probably say the same thing. She better agree to this, okay? But uh, she'd say the same thing. Things that we had to learn about each other is, for me, 
It doesn't matter if it's 5 o'clock in the morning, my feet can hit the floor, and if that phone's ringing, by the time I answer the phone, it sounds like I've been up for three hours. Doesn't matter if you just woke me up out of a dead sleep, that phone's ringing, I answer it like I've been up for three hours. Now, I'm a morning person. Doesn't matter. I'll get up. I'll get going. Everything's fine. Can I say this? You know what I had to learn? You can fill in the blank. I won't even have to say it. Okay? Opposites attract. Can I say that? Opposites attract. But you know what that takes? Some people totally give up before you're willing to learn anything inside that home. We have to learn how many here with multiple children inside the home, you understand and know that every child has a different personality. Every one of them do. And you have to, you have to speak to them. You have to work with them. You actually have to express your love to them actually in different ways. Now, one of the differences between our two children is one, I could, I could look Peter firmly in the face and be able to say something to him and he'd still disobey and he'd have to be punished. <laughs> Seriously. Now, my daughter, if I just would look at my daughter while she's younger, honestly, just a look would just so break her heart. I don't know if she was playing dad for all those years. You never know. But just that look... I mean, it just broke her heart and it just, two different, totally different personalities. You know what we, we don't do today? We don't learn to live together. We don't take the time. You say, well, that's why we try it out ahead of time. No, that's unbiblical. That's why after marriage, listen, it takes time and it takes work and it takes effort to learn to live with each other to learn how to be together whether you're sitting there at the dinner table or you're sitting there in the living room or what they enjoy for activities what they enjoy talking about listen it's going to take effort and what Peter is saying here listen husbands dwell with them that dwelling is living and spending time together dwell with them according to knowledge how long has it been, young people, since you learned something about your parents? Husbands, since you learned something about your wife. Wives, since you learned something about your husband. Well, no, we just know each other. We just know how to, you can see those couples that, that, that things take place, honestly, they sit there and they, they don't even talk at the dinner table. I mean, they, they, they know what each other's thinking. They slide things across. They know exactly what the husband's going to do. Most of the time, it's the wife that pays attention to those details. You understand what I'm saying. You know what that, you know what that is? You say, oh, I'd love a marriage like that where she didn't have to talk to me. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's a marriage where they know each other. You know, that didn't come overnight. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Learn how to be together. Learn to invest in your children. Children, invest in your parents. Get to know them, especially if you're an only child. Guess what? They've never practiced on this before. Learn them. Learn what they like. Learn their inner thoughts and their emotions. Second of all, look what the Bible says here. Not just learn how to be together together. And listen, if you learn that, home won't be miserable. 
But second of all, home doesn't have to be miserable when we understand the importance uh, and the importance of respect prevails in our relationships. The importance of respect. Look at verse number seven here. This is specifically written to the husbands, giving honor unto the wife. Now, ladies, don't get upset at this next phrase, as unto the weaker vessel, okay? Now, that's Bible. May I say that weaker does not mean cheaper? Weaker does not mean of less importance? Can I, can I give you a very practical example and understanding? Do you know that gold is weaker than iron and weaker than steel? Let me ask you this. Which one would you rather have a bridge made out of if you're going to have to cross it every day with your vehicle? You don't want it made out of gold. You want it made out of steel and made out of iron. Now, if you're just going to go up and you're going to be able to pick pieces off and listen... The purer that gold becomes, the weaker it becomes. And so pliable. And so when we see this phrase here, when it says, given honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, it's not saying that they're inferior to the husband. It's just saying, and this is a big discussion across our nation right now, but do you understand that, that, that males and females are not made the same? They're not. It's just that God's created us differently with different roles inside the home, different physical aspects and capabilities. And he's saying with the husband, listen, the importance of respect needs to be prevalent inside of our home. I wonder if it can be said inside the home situation. I'm not talking about in your house. I wonder inside of our home, would it be able to be said that everybody that's there has mutual respect for each other? You say, well, it's saying right here that the husband's supposed to give honor unto the wife. Yes, and when you get over to Ephesians chapter number 5, down there around verse number 33, it says, wives, see that you reverence your husbands. You know what would solve a lot of problems inside of our homes today between parents and children, children and parents, husbands and wives, wives and husbands, is have some respect towards each other. And not be talking like that to each other. We can get into all of that. That's down through here. That might be another whole message on the conversations inside the home. But as we look at this, the, the, the importance of respect prevails. Husbands, do we give honor unto the wife? I made mention of it this week that when God created man, it's, it's the one creation that God said, it's not good for them to be alone. Now listen, man, you may think that you're a self-made man and you're okay by yourself, but God said it's not good. He never said it's not good for the woman to be alone. If every one of us would be honest as husbands, we'd realize just, just about every one of us married out of our league. We'd understand that. We'd realize that. Most of the ladies, they'd probably be able to go on just fine. But us, what are we going to do if our socks aren't paired together in the drawers? Man, we can't put them together. I mean, I was so ignorant growing up, my mom had to write my name on things so that I knew it was mine. I mean, that's just how wonderful they are. But listen, 
God created woman from the rib of man, according to Genesis. Didn't create her from a head bone to rule over the man. But you know something? He didn't create her from a foot bone to be trampled over either. Created her from a rib on the side to be able to walk alongside of each other. It's a tremendous example that's there. And you know what that is? That's mutual respect. It's okay. If we want to be waited on hand and foot, wait on them hand and foot. Once you love on them, once you respect them, give honor unto them. Well, no, God gave me a wife just to take care of my needs. Man, you are going to have a knot on your head. Marriage isn't even a 50-50 relationship. It's a 100-100 relationship. We better, give every, better be given everything we can into that marriage. Given honor unto the wife. Weaker does not mean of less value. In fact, many times a weaker is of higher value. But then I want you to see this, and this is where I was hung up on this phrase. Home doesn't have to be miserable when the importance of respect prevails. When we learn how to be together, but home doesn't have to be miserable when we're equal in the blessings and enjoyments of life. This little phrase here in verse number seven, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Do you understand God has put husband and wife together? God has put a, a home together. And this word right here, heirs together, you understand what an heir is? It's someone who inherits something, right? In other places in the Bible, it mentions that we are, instead of saying heirs together, it says we are joint heirs. Now here it says the grace of life. I wonder if that phrase right there could be used to describe our home environment. The grace of life. You walk into that home and boy, there's just a pleasantness that is there. There's just a sweetness that is there. You ever showed up at someone's house though and you walked in and you're like, yeah, I could cut this with a knife right here. That, boy, that tension that's going on and you're thinking there's no grace in this place. That ought not be how it is inside of our homes. Because listen, it's not just that the husband is rejoicing in the grace of life. It's not just that the wife is rejoicing in the grace of life or just the children, but we are heirs together of the grace of life. And the word grace, listen, can only be applied to that which comes forth from our heavenly father above. Grace is that which is given by God, anything that is in our lives. And listen, when's the last time that, that our home rejoiced over the blessings of God that he allows them to be able to cherish each and every day? We sing the song, count your blessings, name them one by one. See what the Lord hath done. When's the last time inside the home that it was such a sweet spirit? To be able to rejoice about the blessings of God, the grace of life, that we were joint heirs together inside the home, and it was such a sweet place. I'll say this, and, and uh, I almost, and it'd be real hard to do this, err on the side of spending too much time at home. But you know something? If the only other place that I would rather be other than inside Granite State Baptist Church, which I absolutely love, 
being here at our church. I really do. You know the only other place I'd love to be more than that? I just like being home. Just like being home. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, then it's time to start getting some things right and start enjoying the grace of life that you are joint heirs together and heirs together of what God has blessed us with. You say, well, you don't know my spouse. Can I say this? If you are married today, it is God's will 100% for the rest of your life you stay married. And that's who God's given to you. Listen, you better think long and hard about that before saying I do. That person you're going to wake up and look at every morning. Things don't always look the same. Crystal found that out real quick. I don't wake up looking like this. You understand? The grace of life, enjoying the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. Listen, can you honestly say that that phrase, grace of life, would describe the spirit inside your home? Or would we have to say, oh, something's, something's wrong there. But I want you to see this. He closes out this verse of Scripture as being heirs together of the grace of life. And the entire purpose for all of this, it says that your prayers be not hindered. Do you know what I noticed about this verse and specifically that little phrase? That there is an assumption that prayers are already taking place inside the home. But if I were to ask you this question, when's the last time you prayed in your home? When's the last time you did as a family? Well, when we sat down around the table to eat, okay, when was the last time you sat down around the table to be able to eat? When was the last time you prayed as a husband and a wife? When's the last time you say, well, I can pray with everybody else. We come together here on, on Thursdays, whether in the morning or in the evening, and we spend time in prayer. Listen, it's a sad state that if I'd be more comfortable praying with other people around our church than I am praying with my wife. And do you understand that this grace of life in the home and this spirit in the home, that there's a direct relationship to how the spirit is in the home and that relationship to how effective our prayers are? Because the Bible says this all the way through verse number 7, that your prayers be not hindered. Do you know if the spirit's not right in the home, if the spirit's not right in that relationship, husbands, your prayers aren't effective. Home doesn't have to be miserable when prayer is effective. When you can bow your head and you can pray together, when families can pray together, listen, there are times, and I would say this, teach your children to pray. You say, well, they're just two years old and they're just going to say the same thing over and over. Yes, they're probably going to. But you know what they're doing? They're learning to pray. This is where husbands usually break down and say, well, I don't lead my family in prayer as much as I should, and now I'd be embarrassed to be able to say, what's my wife and what's my children going to think if I say, hey, let's gather together and pray? You know something? They'll probably say it's about time. They'll probably say we've been waiting on this. Probably been saying I've been praying enough on my own and it's wonderful for families to be able to pray together. It ought not to be an embarrassment. It ought not to be a, a, an unknown thing for a family to be able to pray. Oh, I haven't, I haven't prayed with my kids. I don't know what they're going to say. If your kids are old enough to pray and you haven't prayed with them, then something's wrong. 
be able to teach them how to pray. To be able to let them hear daddy pray. Let them hear mama pray. Hey, listen, there ought to be times your kids walk in on you praying. Let them know they have a dad and a mom that's praying. And listen, don't stop your prayer time just to take care of them. Show them that your time with God is of utmost importance. Listen, if this home relationship is not right, and I believe we ought to pray, you know this, we emphasize it around Granite State. We're going to be praying on a weekly basis. Thursdays when we come together, we're having a prayer meeting. We're going to be begging the Lord. We're meeting on Saturday nights at 7 o'clock. We're praying. We're asking God to do something. But listen, if my relationship at home is not right, my prayers are hindered. They're hindered, which means they're not as effective. James said it this way, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual prayer. You know how it's effective? Making sure we're right in our home too. You say, Pastor, I just never put that together. Plain in the Bible. Listen, husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Give honor unto them as under the weaker vessel, as your heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You know what's going to make for the absolute strongest praying church that we've ever been part of? It's having the absolute strongest praying homes that we've ever been around, that we've ever been part of. Hey, listen, they may not have every basketball record. They may not have every baseball record. They may not go win every beauty pageant. But if you can raise some kids that when they leave that home, they know how to bow their head and get a hold of God, boy, it'll mean a whole lot more than a little participation trophy that's going to get put in a box somewhere, teaching them how to pray. Now you say, what's the center focus of all this? May I remind us of this, and I'm going to say this every week. These things do not happen unless Christ is the center of your home. With Christ being the center, you say, what do you mean? Listen, you are not going to learn about your spouse if it's not for Christ. You know as well as I do. I mean, one guy, and I saw it in a, I saw it in a bookstore one time, said everything I know about women. Beautiful cover on it and everything. You open it up, and it was 150 pages of blank white paper. <laughs> and he actually sold the book. I mean, people bought the book. And I'm like, he said, everything I know. You know what I found out on this? Listen, that's not going to be successful if it's outside of Christ. If it's outside of Christ. Listen, prayer is not going to be evident and effective in our lives if it's not for Christ. We are not going to have the importance of respect towards each other if it's not for Christ. You know why? Because outside of Christ, we're just selfish people. And it's all about us. It has to be Christ that is the center of your home. That is what makes the difference between a house and a home. I mentioned it to the Kellys this morning that, oh, praise the Lord, on Friday, 9 o'clock, two days ago, everything went great, and they signed their life away and bought a home in North Manchester. They bought a house. And I said, here shortly, you're going to convert that house to being a home. And you know what the difference is? Christ being the center. Now listen, we can have a lodging place. 
And it's a place that you come back, it's a bunkhouse, and you come back and you sleep, and you eat your meals, and you have a little entertainment there. You might watch a ball game or something, but there's a big difference between taking it from a bunkhouse and a lodging place to this is my home. And the difference is Christ being at the center. Now, can I take this a step further? In order for Christ to be the center of your home, first of all, he has to be the center of your life. And a lot of people try to have a Christian home. They try to have a religious home, but Christ isn't in their life to begin with. And you can have all the morals inside of a home. You can run it as strict as you possibly can and say we have a wonderful home and you can have all kinds of rules and everything. And I'm all for them. Ask my kids. I'm all for rules. If I can dream up some more, we'll have them. I'm all for rules and regulations. But you've heard the statement too that rules without relationship breeds rebellion. If Christ is not the center of your life, listen, you can work and labor as hard as you possibly can in the power of the flesh, but guess what? Things are just going to fall apart. You know, it was a few years ago that the actual divorce rate inside the church was equal to what it was outside the church. That means people were being divorced inside churches at the same rate that the world was being filing for divorce. And you say, why is that? I'll tell you the difference because it, you can't take it for granted that as you're sitting here in church that Christ is the center of your marriage if you're not working at it. But Christ has to be the center of your life before he can be the center of your marriage. In order for him to be the center of your life, you need to know him as your personal Lord and Savior. I'm not asking, hey, hey, listen, let me ask you something. What if you came up to me and I, I didn't have my wedding ring on? First of all, that'd be a problem, okay? And if you walked up to me and said, hey, pastor, are you married? Well, I'm 90% sure I am. You'd say, what in the world is wrong? Hey, listen, but that's how some people address their relationship with Jesus. Hey, are you saved? Are you a child of God? Well, I'm 90% sure I am. No, listen, I know I'm married. And she's kind of like the Holy Spirit that if I ever forget, she lets me know. <laughs> Can I say this? I know I'm saved. And just like the Holy Spirit, if I ever forget, guess what? He lets me know. Just gives me that reassurance. Is Christ the center of your life? You say, Pastor, I'd love to have a Christ honor in marriage. I'd love to have a Christ honor in home. And I want Christ to be the center of it. Well, first, let him be the center of your life. Is Christ preeminent in your life? Do you know him as your personal Savior? But then have you yielded your life to him and say, you know something, everything I do, I'm going to do to honor and glorify the Lord. And I guarantee you this, if everything you do inside your home, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to what Colossians tells us to do, I guarantee you'll have a home that's not miserable. It'll be a home you want to get back to, not a home that you can't wait to wake up and leave. It ought not to be like that. You say, Pastor, what's going on? Hey, I told you a few weeks ago I was going to start preaching on the home. So if something just came up this week, home doesn't have to be miserable. And if you're sitting there and something's going on in your heart, saying, man, I wish I had a home like that, and mutual respect and, and uh, prayers are effective and it's just a sweet spirit, listen, it can start today. But Christ needs to be the center. 